Welcome to River Edge Podcasts. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I love self-starters. Oh, I said this this morning because as Ken came up to um, do communion at the 90s this morning, I, I just realised he's a real self-starter. And we've got plenty of them in our young adults group. They're just self-starters. They, if you see any cafe out there, if you see anything, a lot of that is done by the young people in our church that get here early and, and set things up and they're out there. And it's not just the young ones. We've got middle-aged guys and seniors out there. So um, I love self-starters. <laughs> I love it when people are happy without having to need somebody to make them laugh. I love it when people are in peace, even though they're going through conflict in their life. I love people that are proactive, people that are willing to lift others up, even though they may be pushed down themselves. You know, I love people that can be self-starters, that can encourage, even though they may be going through times of fear and times of worry in their life, but they want to encourage other people. I love self-starters. There's something about being a self-starter. Do you realize that the whole of the planet are self-starters? Trees are being trees, animals are being animals. It's only humans that we get a choice whether or not we're going to participate in this journey of life and do it to the best of our abilities. We can blame others. We can say, oh, I'm not happy because they never made me laugh and I'm not at peace because I'm having a fight with this person or I've got no joy because that person cut me off on the way to church. I cut someone off the other day, not on purpose. I have done that though, but not on purpose. And, um, and this lady, she didn't even have to slow down and she got really upset and she's shaking a fist at me. And so I'm like going back at her and Kylie's going, stop it. And I'm going, well, she's just waving. I'm waving back, you know. She goes, but she's angry. And I'm going, and I'm not, you know. Like, <laughs> and she got really upset. And it's funny how people can be impacted so much by what's around them. But what I just told you about being a self-starter, that's not really the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is you blame the government because you don't have this, or you, you blame your school teachers, or your parents, or your, your friends, or whatever it is. You blame them because of what's going on in your life. But I want to encourage you today to actually change your perspective, because we actually were told by Jesus to pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done. And to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, the pattern of the kingdom of heaven is totally different to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is we blame game, we we compare, um, we, we want to get just for ourselves all the time. But the pattern of the kingdom of heaven is others oriented. It's actually watching your life and governing your life, not having to control and manipulate and govern other people's lives. You actually govern your life. So this morning, I want to talk about some of the stuff of the culture of the pattern of heaven. Matthew 5.13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And he goes on to say, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. Now, when Zoram was here, he introduced us to a very interesting concept. Salt is a very basic element. Who has salt at home? Who doesn't know what salt is? Has anybody never, ever come in contact with salt? Great. Then we're all on the same page. Salt, someone's got their hand up the back. You have come across salt. Don't you play those games. Sodium chloride. It's scientific um, letters are N-A-C-L. Sodium chloride. Sodium is an alkaline. Chloride is an acid. One's positive. Sodium's positive. Chlorine 
chloride is negative. So when they come together, they, their ions, their, their charge locks them together in an ionic um, bond. The thing is that we're called the salt of the earth, but salt, sodium and chloride do not crystallize, do not crystallize until they come together. So we, um, as followers and disciples of Jesus, or those that are starting to hear about Jesus and all that, we get... We learn about the benefits, the positives of heaven. Now, Scripture tells us that we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Word of God says that. It says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We don't have to struggle and strive to be righteous. We are righteous because of what Jesus did, what Ken was just telling us. Because of his life, we remember his life. But then Paul goes on to say, and then when you eat and drink of this, you proclaim his death. You proclaim the victory, everything that was ascribed to us through the death of Jesus. You know, eternal life is now ours because of the death of Jesus. When we take the cup and the the bread, we're actually making a proclamation over our bodies. I am healed in Jesus' name. Over our mind, I am healed in Jesus' name. He's our provider. He's our healer. He's our salvation. He's our peace. He's our joy. We're making a proclamation over our marriages, over our families, making proclamations of how good God is. Oh, but the thing is, we, it doesn't crystallize. All the positives and all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven need to come in contact with the negativity and the struggles and the trials of life to crystallize. So when we're actually bringing the positives of heaven into the negatives of our world and we crystallize and, and it's in that crucible, in that furnace, in that place that we crystallize and that's when the salt actually takes form. You might be going through troubles at the moment. I hope this changes your perspective. If you're going through trials and worries and concerns and fights and battles, I hope this catches your attention because when you take the benefits of what Jesus did for us and the negatives of the world, you're going to be the salt of the world because you're going to see, hey, I'm making it through. Hey, God is for me, not against me. Whoa, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's not what I'm talking about today. But isn't that a really good thing? I just want to encourage you in whatever you're doing this week, start being salt. Let it crystallize. Be a little bit more salty this week. Okay, there's a movie that I remember when I was growing up. It was, um, oh, I love this movie. I hope I missed that. Yeah, I shouldn't actually be doing this with people in front of me. I, I, last time I swung a sword in church, I was thinking later... I could have let go of that with my sweaty palms and it flew in. So you guys are in a really good, you know, good spot. This is a great sword. Doesn't it look good? It's not a real sword. I've got a real one at home. Um, it's a Napoleonic Cavalier sword. It's got stains on it that looks like rust, but it's not rust. It's actually blood. And um, it's so cool because there's a thumbprint on one side and three fingerprints on the other side. I don't know if that's a good sign. (laughs) Somebody's like, no, or the guy's picking it up. I don't know, yeah. But I want to talk about a movie that I watched when um, it was about 20 years ago, I think this movie first came out. Now, the lead actor, isn't it, is an Aussie, the mighty Russell Crowe. Now, the movie was Gladiator. Does anyone remember Gladiator, the movie? Okay. 
There's a scene in it that opens with this where he's taking on the Germanic hordes and he's fighting these guys who are opposing the, the Roman Empire. But um, this guy, the gladiator um, that Russell Crowe played, was actually General Maximus Decimus Meridius. Maximus Decimus Meridius. And he was under the rule of um, Marcus Aurelius, who was actually a, a Roman um, emperor, but this you know, Marcus, what's his name? Yeah, I said it, I keep getting it wrong, Maximus Decimus Meridius. So, but he made a profound statement in this movie. And we're going to put it up on the script, or is it already up there? No, we've got it. He makes this statement, he says, in three weeks, guys, I'm going to be home harvesting my wheat. Imagine where you are, and there you will be. He says, and if you find yourself by chance that you're wandering through fields of green with the sun on your face, don't worry because you're probably dead and you're in Elysium already, in heaven already. And then he makes this statement. Brothers, look at this. What we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do here on earth echoes into eternity. We are here. This isn't just a dress rehearsal for heaven. This is our lives. We are meant to live this out as we only have one life, but we're actually going somewhere better. But we don't look just, well, okay, oh, I can't wait until I die and then I can go into glory. No, we're meant to learn something. We're meant to do something. We're meant to be someone while we're on this planet. And I want to talk about that just at the moment. See, we really need to lean in and understand, you know, the gift that God has given us of our lives, of our bodies. It took me a while to understand that my body was a gift from God. I thought my body was a gift to my wife. No, <laughs> my body is a gift to me. This isn't Stephen. This is just who you think Stephen is. This is just my outer shell. But it's a gift from God that I must look after, I must steward well, and I must govern well. He's also given us his creation, which we, we need to appreciate. Some of us don't stop to, to look at the roses and smell the trees. I don't know, I got it all wrong there. But I was talking to a businessman during the week, and I just rang him up to connect with him, and he starts telling me, oh, we've just been flat out, business is going crazy, and, and when we're not working, we're, oh, we're just, we've got to shut down, so we're going on trips overseas. And he goes, but... I, I don't even get to look at the sky anymore. I don't get to appreciate my plants and trees at home anymore. He goes, it's just stuff that's there, but I'm not appreciating it. You know, we, we need to lean into God and understand that we are uniquely designed for a purpose. Each one of us, uniquely designed for a purpose. And until we find that place where we are celebrated, not just tolerated, but celebrated, you know, the... Because a lot of times we think we need to get to somewhere in life because that's when I'll be celebrated. No, you might just be tolerated. But you could be walking in celebration right now, just doing the, the small thing that you're called to do. Too many times we just, we despise small things and want to go for the big thing. And go where it's all celebrated because we think that's where the accolades are. But no, 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 no. We need to actually look where we're going to be celebrated, where God has made us to be, where we find significance, purpose, and our real design and where peace is. So this morning, I want to, my message is this, and it's titled, Calmly Remain Earnest, which in my head made sense, 
and you'll see why in a second too. The meaning of the, the number 12 is very significant in Scripture. All numbers are. Did you know that God is a mathematical genius? Flip an egg. He is amazing. When you start looking at everything that's been designed, it all has purpose, it all has structure, it all has form, but it's so poetic, it's so artistic, it's so creative. People think it's creativity and science. No, no, it's all in harmony together. People go religion and science. No, no, it's all in harmony together. It's all us understanding who the creator is and this creation around us. But the number 12... Biblically, is really significant. Like, does anyone know why 12's important? Like, we said, Ken said it this morning. Ken actually said there were 12 disciples. That's important. How many tribes were there? There were 12 children that, that Abraham had. Is that right? No. <laughs> Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had 12 kids. Oh, wait a minute. Isaac only... Oh, he had a few, but he had, oh, it was Jacob. That's, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just messing with you this morning. Jacob had 12. He had his name changed to Israel, father of many nations, from heel grabber to father of many nations. Had 12 kids. 12 is very significant. Why? Because the 12, number 12 symbolizes God's power, God's authority. It's a perfect number. There's a number of it. Number three is a perfect number. Three is very significant. I'm, oh, gee, I could go way off track at the moment, but I won't. Number seven is, a, is another um, perfect number. I was born on the 7th of September, nine, ninth month. You wouldn't believe how perfect I am just because of my birthday. Because it's three times three is nine, so I've got three times the wholeness and the completeness. Of, back on track. Twelve also symbolizes um, perfect governmental foundations. Isn't it interesting that Israel was founded on 12 tribes, that Jesus started out with 12 disciples? It's governmental foundations, godly governmental foundations. It also symbolizes completeness and wholeness. So 12 is God's power, authority, perfect government foundation, completeness and wholeness. Why am I telling you this? Because this morning I want to read out of Romans 12, 12. Here in this one little scripture is some profound influence of, of the kingdom of God and how we can outwork him here on earth, how we can be the salt of the earth, how we can just grow immensely from just fulfilling what Romans 12.12 12 encourages us to do. Do you want to have a look at it? My family at home, we have this in a, framed in a poster that Chelsea has written beautifully, talking about giftings and talents. We would come home sometimes, and Chelsea would be in our front lounge room with paper up to her knees all around, just practicing the letter M. M or E. It was every, and you're just like, how many hours of your, every page had like 30 different E's or L's or M's or T's and, and, but she has beautiful handwriting, she's a graphic designer. In Romans 12, 12, Chelsea wrote this out for my beautiful wife because Kylie loves this scripture. It says this, be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction faithful in prayer. It just rolls off the tongue so easily. And, and, and we could overlook it as easily as it runs off our tongue. 
But I want to unpack this a little bit more because there's something significant about this statement. If you look at, at Romans 12 in Scripture from about verse 9 onwards right through it, it starts off with love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. And it's talking about activating love in our life. And it's, it's interesting that here it says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. The word joyful here in the Greek means to be cheerful. Joyful means to be cheerful. Is anyone ever, is that a mind blower to anyone? No, of course not. To be joyful means to be cheerful, but it means to be calmly happy, to be well off, to be glad, to hail joy and to rejoice in your life, to hail joyfully. Has anyone hailed joyfully today? What happens when it hails? Makes a lot of noise, it leaves a mark. Whose car's been hail damaged? You know, uh, when it hails, it just, it leaves a mark. Our joyful hailing is meant to leave a mark in those around us. It's meant to be loud. It's meant to be a proclamation. It's meant to actually devastate some stuff, devastate the bad and actually elevate the good in our life. So when, to be joyful in um, hope means that we are calmly happy, we are cheerful, we're well off, we're glad, we're hailing, we're rejoicing in hope. Hope here is actually the word hope in the Greek means expectation or confidence. It, it combines together to make, hope, to make faith. So to actually be joyful in faith, joyful in your confidence, happy and rejoicing and rejoicing and happy about your confidence and what you are actually expecting in life. Too many of us are expecting the worst, hoping for the best, we say, and expecting the worst. But what are you actually really expecting? The worst. You're expecting the worst to turn up. And then when it turns up, you go, knew it. Doesn't take a genius to do that. It actually takes a shift of culture to, to be joyful in hope, not just be, uh, hope, but actually have a hope that goes beyond that. You know, Jesus is the hope of the world. It changes your perspective totally when you start looking at that. Where is your hope lying? Is it your hope in your circumstances? Is your hope in your finances? Is it in your bank account? Is it in your talents, your gifts? Is it in your singing voice? I don't know what your hope lies in, but our hope should be beyond that. It should be something greater than that. So we need to be joyful in hope. And then it says to be patient in affliction. The word patient here, um, translated in the Merriam-Webster, means bearing pains or trials calmly without complaint. To be not hasty or impetuous, to be patient, to be able or willing to bear things. And the third one is to be steadfast despite opposition, to be patient, um, in, uh, to be steadfast despite difficulty or adversity. The Greek word, which is actually hupomeno, means to stay under something. To be patient actually means to stay under, to remain in something, to undergo, to bear trials to have fortitude in your life, to persevere through things. It means to actually abide in, to live in, to endure, to, um, to suffer and to tarry or wait behind. Now, I tell you now, this is not the pattern of this world. No one wants to be patient. I want what I want. Give me patience and give me it now. 
No one wants to be patient. Everyone's in a rush. We've all got small margins. But I'm telling you, no, no, that's the pattern of this world. Don't live according to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll know what God's will is. Good, pleasing, perfect will. That's in Romans as well. Gee, Romans has got it all together. Why did we need the rest of the Bible? (laughs) To be patient, undergoing, persevering, enduring, waiting when you're going through affliction. Too many of us want to get out from it. Oh, you know, I'm going through hell at the moment. I just want to get out of it. No, no, go through it. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. We need to go through some things in life. We need to carry some baggage in life. But some of us are carrying way too much baggage and we're actually taking the wrong path and going through some territory that we don't need to be going through. To be spirit-led is to keep step with the spirit. Where's the spirit leading you? Because it's only into good places. But sometimes those good places have trials and tests and affliction attached into it. But when we're doing it, we need to be patient, enduring, persisting, going through those things. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction. And then the final one is faithful. Faithful, and it's not just faithful, but it's faithful in prayer. The word faithful um, means to be earnest towards something, to persevere, to be constantly diligent in something. And not only that, to be faithful means to adhere closely. The word is actually glued to. To be faithful means to be glued to something. To attend assiduously, which means to, I forgot the definition of that, but it it means to, what is it? Persevere assiduously. Wow, that's a new word for today. Did I put it up there? Yes, I did. There's a word. Who needs a word for the day? Write that one down and go and look it up because we should all be expanding our vocabulary. No joke. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. The more words you have authority over, the better your life is. Sign that Stephen Taylor quote. (laughs) To continually wait on and continually uphold. So to be faithful means to be earnest towards something, persevere in it, adhere, glue yourself to it. But it's not just glue yourself to something. Here it's saying glue yourself to prayer. Adhere yourself to to prayer. Glue, um, continually um, attend to prayer. Now, I'm telling you, if we did these three things, stuff would change. The salt in your life would come out. You wouldn't be talking about if, a, if the salt loses its saltiness. It would be like, whoa, they, those people are way too salty. Why? Because they are um, joyful in hope, <laughs> patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Those three things, if we did this in our marriages, if we did this in our families, if we did this in our home life, if we did this in our workplace, Something would change. I'm telling you now, things would change. The atmosphere of your life would, would dramatically change. Because the word patient here is actually the first word in the definition of love in the Bible. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It isn't self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And you might say, Stephen, you quote that a lot. I need to. 
But why have you committed it to memory? So I know that I'm operating in love. Because sometimes I think that I'm operating in love and then I, I go, oh, I wasn't patient. First one, first refining fire right there. Love is patient. Next one, love is kind. Being kind to people. Being kind to those around you because people have got small margins. People have got short tempers, short fuses, big mouths. And it's so easy just to react to that world, but we're not called to react to the world. Jesus never reacted to things, and we're told to model his example. He did not come to condemn the world, as Ken said earlier. He came that through him we might be saved. But he came not to just use the law. fulfill. He came to actually fulfill the law with love. The woman caught in adultery, he could have at that point, because he said, anyone who hasn't sinned, you get to chuck the first rock. Out of everyone there, do you know who could have chucked a rock? Jesus. And he didn't. He said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. He goes, and neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and live a life that doesn't follow in sin. Go and live a fruitful, fulfilling, celebrated life. You don't have to chase after men to try and feel whole. You don't have to chase after, have relationship with guys to, you know, that's what he was saying to her because she was caught in adultery. I want to encourage you today. God has something that you're celebrated in. God has something for you that is just so profound. And I want to encourage you, be joyful in hope. Be patient in your affliction, but be faithful in prayer. If you just start praying about things, Stuff will change. Life and death, authority is in the power of the tongue. And we get to use it in the name of Jesus to speak to stuff. If you haven't prayed before or, or haven't really started that journey, Scripture actually tells us to pray without ceasing. Now you would go, that's impossible. No, no, no. Talk without ceasing is impossible. But prayer isn't just talking at God. Prayer is also listening to God. Prayer is having a conversation. And I encourage people, like, when was the last time you stopped and sincerely, as Ken said, I'm really referring to you a lot this morning. Ken, you did a great job. Had a genuine conversation with God and said, Father, what, what do you think of me? Father, what, did you, what am I here for? Have you ever asked those questions? I have. And he's told me, what do you think of me? And he tells me, and I can tell you now, it's never bad. He points out stuff in my life. I walk away with a fat head because he's just like, you're my boy. I made you for this. I made, put this in your life. I put that in your life. I'm like, really? It's really humbling to be told by Almighty God what he thinks of you, but it's uplifting at the same time. Let's be joyful in hope. Let's be patient in our afflictions in life and let's be faithful in prayer because this is the culture of the pattern of heaven. Can you stand with me? God is so good to us. Jesus said that out of your innermost parts will flow rivers of living water. So that when you're dry and going through dry times on the earth, you'll actually be able to be a self-starter and encourage yourself in the spirit. Encourage your, out of your innermost parts will burst. Burst, he said. You might go, that's a bit weird. No, no, it's a spiritual thing. Just like a dream's a dream thing, it's a spiritual thing. He's talking about you don't have to be dry in your spirit. You don't have to be dry in your mind, in your soul. Because he's put something within you 
that He wants to operate through you. Can I pray for you this morning? Is that all right? Father God, I just thank you that you are the best dad ever. You have put your DNA in us and you've designed us after yourself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's three parts to you and you've made us body, soul and spirit. Father, I just thank you for each life represented here right now. I thank you for your Holy Spirit being on them because you prophesied through the prophet Joel that in the last days you pour out your spirit on all mankind. So Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you right now that you would speak to each person here, speak to each household, speak to each marriage, each family, and that you would in your unique way as nurturer, comforter and friend, you would coach and encourage us to be joyful in hope, to be patient in our afflictions, but to go to God in everything and to be faithful in prayer. Not to worry about anything, but to be praying about everything. I thank you for this coming week and that you're going to influence lives and change destinies and change mindsets. And mental health is going to even change because of your joy, because of your peace. Because when we hand things over to you, because you care for us so much, we get to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Thank you, Father God, for your love for all of us. Your love that was so great that you sent your son, Jesus, to die so that through him we can all have eternal life. Holy Spirit, continue to help us grow. Continue to mentor us. Continue to show us who we are and who our Father is. Thank you for revelation to flow this week. And as we are faithful in prayer, I just thank you for that beautiful communion that only comes through connecting with the Father. Thank you for fresh conversations and genuine conversations with our Heavenly Father. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining today. It would be so awesome to see you at church this Sunday. If you'd like to know more about service times or simply want to find out more about church, head to our website, riveredgechurch.com.au.